Today we're continuing a, a second, this is the second part of a section called Instructions for the Congregation uh, that Paul is in at the end of uh, Thessalonians. Um, we've been in Thessalonians for a while now, uh, about to wrap up at least this this uh, section of it. There's 1 Thessalonians, next week we'll start 2 Thessalonians. Uh, a little bit of background so you know, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and as we go through the book of Acts, we've been meeting different cities that Paul is now journeying to on his missionary journeys. And as he reaches cities that we, um, that we have letters to, we've spun off and, and uh, examined the letters that he's written back to those cities. So uh, we've seen Paul go from Antioch on this second journey all the way up through uh, Galatia, Asia, and into Macedonia, where the cities of Thessalonica and Berea uh, are. And now, as he's writing these letters back to those cities, he is in either Athens or Corinth, one of the two, uh, writing back to Thessalonica, uh, encouraging them in their faith, um, strengthening them, uh, you know, letting them know that he cares for them, hasn't forgot about them. Uh, that's important because while he was there, he was quickly rushed out by the city leaders, um, asked to leave because of the gospel that he was preaching, and uh, wasn't able to complete all the teaching that he needed to do uh, while he was there, and it's been now two or so years since he was there. And so the Thessalonians have this in their mind that uh, Paul has somehow forgot about them, uh, doesn't care about them, that maybe his ministry was actually in vain uh, in some way. And so Paul's writing this letter to answer those questions. Uh, Timothy has visited them and brought back a report. And so throughout, uh, throughout Thessalonians, Paul is sort of responding to them, letting them know that he cares for them, has actually tried to come visit them, but somehow Satan hindered him from doing so. Not sure what that is entirely about, just something has kept him from connecting with the Thessalonians for some reason. And so, uh, so here at the very end of First Thessalonians, he's wrapping up, uh, just sharing some final thoughts uh, and instructions to the Thessalonians here in uh, chapter 5. So we're going to read verses 16 to 28, uh, which will wrap up this, uh, this text. Uh, so read with me, if you will. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Pray with me, if you will. God, we're thankful for the time that you give us to examine your word, and we're thankful for uh, what you desire to say this morning. And God, I just yield myself to you and, and pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us each, challenging us in the uh, situation that we're at to follow you uh, with greater zeal. Uh, God, strengthening us this week that we would go out with, uh, with the love and compassion that you've shown to us, that we'd show it to others. God, we do pray that we uh, would seek to rejoice always, that we would pray continually, that we'd thank you in whatever circumstances there are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so last week we looked at, in this uh, section, uh, the role of leadership in the church. 
Uh, we looked at the, in, along with that, we looked at the priesthood of the believer and that there is a call to leadership in the church and that we ought to respect and esteem that call and that there's some specific uh, things that leadership ought to be doing that is laboring among you and admonishing you with the word. And, but we also saw that uh, Paul is clearly instructing the whole church to partake in the ministry of reconciliation. So whether it's struggling with, uh, whether it's uh, working with those who are struggling with self-control uh, or working with those who are, uh, who are being idle or uh, what have you, that we are all called to be patient with those who are struggling in some form, knowing that we also have struggled in some way ourselves and extending compassion and mercy and grace uh, to one another throughout that. So we've seen that there is a role of leadership in the church, uh, but also that uh, all of us are gifted and enabled to serve one another as the body of Christ. Um, we saw Paul urge us. He said, we urge you brothers uh, to be patient with, with people who are struggling, whether with work, with faith, with self-control, or with the presence of evil uh, in, in their lives or around them. So uh, this week, the question for us is this, uh, do you want to follow the will of Christ Jesus? Do you want to follow or do you want to know the will of Christ Jesus or the will of God in Christ Jesus? Paul actually plainly says, if you might have caught it while we were reading, he plainly says that this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That question is uh, one that we probably all have asked, you know, what is your will, Lord? What is your will for me? What should I do? What is, my, what is your will for me? What would you have me do in this circumstance? And Paul says it plainly here, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whatever circumstance you are in, these things ought to be present as you face them. Rejoicing over God's victory over whatever circumstance it is, praying to God for his wisdom, his direction, his provision in that circumstance, and thanking God for the answer he will give in those circumstances. So whatever it is you're facing, that ought to be part of what you are doing. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but um, when, I'm, uh, when I'm stuck with a problem, I tend to try and work it out myself in my brain, try and figure out the most logical thing to do or the thing that most, makes most sense or whatever, and I fail to first go to rejoicing that God is going to provide, thanking him for what he is going to do, and, you know, asking his advice. You know, he's the one that, uh, that knows what's going to happen. So uh, I ought to be communing with him. And so that's what Paul is instructing us here. Uh, he actually is telling us the, uh, the will of God for us as congregation, as we gather together. Uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout this section, I always thought of these commands as uh, individual commands, as commands to me to follow as an individual Christian. Uh, but actually, all the verbs used in here and all the language used in this section uh, actually talks collectively and corporately. And so when it says rejoice always, is, that's, a, that's a plural verb that's used. When he says uh, pray without ceasing, that's another plural verb that's used. When it says give thanks in all circumstances, another plural verb that's used. Uh, later we'll talk about, you know, talk about prophecy, and that actually requires two people, one to prophesy and one to hear. And so there's a corporate sense that is given in this instruction that we ought to listen to, because I think we tend to listen to the individualistic perspective. We need to hear that there's a corporate calling as well. And so uh, Paul says these things that we ought to, the will, that his will for our, for our worshiping and community includes these things, rejoicing, praying, thanking God, 
and uh, teaching in some respect. Um, so first, in rejoicing, uh, rejoicing is simply praising God for who He is, um, praising Him as the Creator and Sustainer of all things, uh, that He's holy, limitless, loving, faithful, mercy, merciful. Um, I don't know about you, but when we sing songs together, when we sing His truth and His love and His grace, uh, we sing about who He is and what He's done for us, and that. Uh, uh, for some of us, it's difficult to maybe sing on our own. Uh, I don't know if maybe maybe you sing in the shower or something. Uh, I'm not sure, but you might not sing a lot. But when we get in a group, there's a little bit more comfort for us to sing the praises of God, to sing who He is and what He's doing in our lives, and to sing unto one another. There's a comfort that's there. And so uh, Paul is saying that when you gather, part of your gathering ought to be to rejoice in who the Lord is and what He's accomplishing in your life. Uh, the second thing he shares here is that we ought to pray without ceasing, that we ought to seek God for uh, strength, for answers, for help, for mercy. This is a thing that we try and do uh, every Sunday that we come together is to make sure that we are praying for each other in an intentional manner. Uh, and we need to do that corporately as well as individually. Um, what I was reading about uh, praying this week, uh, you know, the obvious prayer that comes to mind when you talk about praying, anytime you hit the subject of praying really in Christian circle is, well, how did Jesus tell us to do it, right? Well, he said, he said this, right? You can recite with me if you want. Um, Our Father in heaven, this is Matthew 6, 9 to 13 ESV version. So if you want to join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anything you notice about that as you read it? As you read the Lord's Prayer, does something stick out? Is there anything that sticks out to you about it? Don't be shy. It's an interactive moment. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's it's easy to gloss over once you've read it a bunch of times, right? What's that? Yeah, right? Our, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give us, Forgive us our debts as we, yeah. We don't pray like that. Yeah, we... Most Christians, most of us don't pray like that as we're supposed to. Right, right, right. We think about our, our self, right, and how we're approaching it. And so even as the Lord is instructing, he, you know, Jesus instructs in a couple of ways. He instructs prayer that, that it should be in a closet, that you should step aside and you should pray in secret and pray on your own not to be seen by men. But he also, in the fundamental prayer he gives to the disciples, he gives it in a collective manner. That we would pray to our God and to pray for our sin, to pray uh, that he would forgive our debts, all these, that he rescue us from evil. There's a collective sense there uh, that we ought to be praying together. Um, this is a challenge to us as a very individualistic culture that it's not about individualism. Rather, it's about individuals who have been changed by Christ coming together and then worshiping Christ, praying to him, laying down a request before him. So we ought to be praying without ceasing. Every time we gather, we ought to seek to seek to find the will of God, seek to pray for what he would want to uh, teach to us. Um, the next thing that Paul says ought to be present in our worshiping communities is this, that we ought to be, te- uh, that we ought to be thanking God. 
We have to be grateful for what he's doing in and through us. And um, it's easy for us to uh, fixate on problems. It's really difficult for us to think about what we are being blessed by. Uh, about any prayer, you know, prayer time that I come to, I think maybe it's because we label it that. If you say, hey, you know, we're going to have time for prayer. What can we pray for? Uh, never is it, you know, never is it said, or even in the context of that, uh, is it like, oh, we should thank God. You know, that's sort of the last thing to think about. And occasionally someone will pipe up, and I just want to thank the Lord for, you know, this or that. Uh, but that's what Paul is telling us, and, and we're instructed to do, is that we have to be grateful, that we have to thank God for not only the answer he's going to give to our prayers, but what he's already accomplished in us and through us. So like, like uh, Jeff, like you shared earlier, you know, I'm thankful for my sobriety, you know, in dealing with um, circumstances and situations, you now are thankful for that. And that's a beautiful thing to be declare, you know, declare to the Lord what we're thankful for. Um, since we started, we have always had this time of thanksgiving and prayer. And to be honest, there's a lot of times when I come up here and say, okay, uh, we want to thank God for what he's doing this week and maybe what he's teaching you and, and want to pray uh, for these things. And it's easier for me to come up with things to pray for than it is for me to think of things to thank for. Um, and I think that's a problem, you know? I think I need to be more aware or more willing to thank God for silly things, maybe, that are, that quote, are silly, um, and, and to be more thankful, generally. So uh, that's exactly what Paul is calling us to, uh, rejoicing, praying, thanking God for what he's doing. Uh, the last thing that, uh, an, uh, well, another thing that he asks us to do in our worship communities is to uh, have a commitment to instruction in the truth. And uh, Paul is very bold with this. I, you know, I yield to the direction of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that was given to him as he is even writing this text that he knew it was significant, significant enough to urge others to read it for their betterment in their Christian walk. He says this in verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I mean, have you ever written a, a letter to someone and say, hey, uh, you know, mom, I urge you to read this today. You must read this to dad and all my brothers, you know, or whatever it is. Like, that's not language. He's stepping in and saying emphatically that this is necessary for your uh, growth in Christian faith. I urge you to read this. And uh, what that says to me is that there, there's a call again uh, for leadership in the church and for uh, teaching in the church in certain circumstances. Paul is addressing a number of issues that the Thessalonians are all facing, and he wants to make sure that all of them hear the response that God has given him to give to them. And so he urges them, have this letter read uh, to all the brothers. Uh, So our worship communities ought to be uh, made up of rejoicing, praying, thanking, teaching, all these sorts of things. Um, And then Paul steps into verses 19 to 22 and talks about some things, uh, some things that should uh, not be there, that we should not despise prophecy, that we should not quench the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at those verses real quick. Uh, 19 to 22 says this, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise uh, prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Uh, Paul says here that uh, we... First, he says that we ought not quench the Holy Spirit, that we ought not quench the Spirit in our worshiping communities. That uh, It's interesting, he gives some 
playing components, right? And he gives them in a particular order. So maybe we should think that uh, we have to rejoice first and then we have to pray and then we have to give thanks and then we should teach after that or something like that. There's a particular order in which he lays it out. But Paul says this uh, almost immediately. He says, um, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't think that there is uh, some uh, formula that I'm trying to communicate to you about how you relate to one another, but rather listen to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do and accomplish in these things. The fact is that a lot of these things interact with one another. Teaching interacts with praising. Uh, rejoicing interacts with thanking. Um, praying interacts with, you know, teaching as well. I mean, they all sort of interrelate. And the truth is that you could be praying while you're worshiping. You could be learning while you are praying. There's all sorts of these components sort of mixing together. And so we ought not quench what the Spirit wants to do with all these components and say, well, you can't really learn during this time. You need to learn at this time, you know. Uh, So we need to open our minds, open our spirits to what God wants to teach us and when. Um, I think if we have a teachable spirit throughout our times of worship, we will be, we'll see more of what God wants us to see as we interact with one another. Uh, So don't quench the Holy Spirit. Paul, in fact, says, uh, says this, uh, whoops, I was supposed to read you this awesome quote, and I, and I passed it. All right, this is in reflection to the rejoicing and praying and thanking God. I'm going to read it for you. Uh, he says this, as you meditate, did I just quench the spirit because I moved on from it? Okay, so I'm, I'm being analytical now. Um, I, did, I do really want to share this with you. Uh, as we're thinking about uh, thanking God and praising him and, and, uh, uh, and, and rejoicing in him, Uh, I had this quote earlier this week. It says this, As you meditate on the price Jesus paid to give you access to the Father, you will come to treasure your prayer times with Him. Worship will become a privilege you seize with gratitude. Scripture will be dear to you as you strive to be holy in all that you do. Um, The fact is that as we uh, realize what Christ has done for us, these uh, what seem like rituals or, or religious activities or whatever are things that we will cherish. We will cherish times of prayer. We will cherish times of worship. We will cherish the scripture that is given to us. It's easy for us in a, in a mentality of a works system uh, to say, well, these are the things we ought to do in order to approach God. Uh, but what we're called to here is to recognize the price Jesus paid for us, that he has bought our righteousness. And as a result of that, this is the, the response that we'll have. We will treasure prayer. We will uh, have a privilege to worship together. We will hold dear the scriptures. As we grow in our understanding of Jesus, those things will become natural to us, not burdens to us. Um, and so, uh, again, he, uh, he goes on to say uh, that we ought not quench the Holy Spirit. So we'll move forward here. And he says this in, in contrast to that in Second Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, rather than quenching the spirit, we ought to fan it into flame. And how do we do that? It's a corporate sense, right? Uh, Paul says that the laying on of his hands, it's not something that you just do yourself. You don't just stir up just yourself. Uh, you are stirred up by one another. The fan that is in you is, is fanned into flame when you interact with others. And so uh, it's a huge component in not quenching the Spirit is actually just uh, uh, practically coming together. Uh, the next thing he says is to uh, not despise uh, prophecies. In, uh, in verse 20, he says, do not despise prophecies. Uh, 
plainly, right? And then he goes on to say, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Um, so what is he saying there? Don't despise prophecies. Uh, prophecies seem like something that would be good. Like if someone came and prophesied to you, you'd be like, sweet. I don't really experience that that often. So it's really good to hear someone you know, speak plainly what the will of God is for my life. But the fact is that sometimes prophecies aren't easy things to hear. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, if you were in Israel, you probably want to avoid the prophet at all costs because he's telling you everything that you're doing and that you're doing all of it wrong almost. And so, um, so it's easy to accept a favorable, quote, favorable prophecy. Uh, and it's easy to despise a prophecy, prophecy that seems uh, discomforting, right? And so Paul is saying, listen, don't despise prophecy, accept it, as it is true. And so, but he gives some conditions and some uh, ways in which we ought to do that. Not just receive everything that someone claims is a prophecy, but rather, he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So if the prophecy that is given over you is something that is uncomfortable, but it is good and not evil, then accept that, right? Accept that as, as true. Uh, if it is, if the prophecy that is given to you is uncomfortable and it's also evil, shown to be evil, then you should reject it right out, right? But he does say to test everything. Uh, the fact is when we hear uh, truth speaking, and even when I speak from here, from the pulpit, as you're hearing me speak, the onus is on you to test the things that I'm saying. It's a personal relationship, even though it's a corporate uh, function that we're having. You're responsible for hearing what I say and digesting it, and deciding whether the Holy Spirit is, is telling you whether that's true or not. Uh, this is like the Bereans in Acts uh, seventeen eleven, which says this, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Uh, sorry for our, our people that Paul's writing to. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So Luke is recording this about his friend, Paul, is saying, the Brians did a way better job. I mean, everyone else, Paul was going preaching. He's a really charismatic guy, and everyone's just taking it. You know, they're just receiving it. But the Bereans, they had noble character. They actually thought about what Paul was saying. Uh, in fact, these are actually the Berean Jews. And as Paul's going, he's preaching first to the synagogue. And so the Berean Jews, as they receive this word, Paul is preaching pretty much from the Old Testament and his experience with Jesus, and that's it. So as these presenting interpretation of the Old Testament, the Bereans are saying, let me look at that. Let me examine that and determine whether that's true. And that's exactly what God is calling us to do. Uh, as I preach, as anyone preaches or teaches to you, you ought to test it against the Scripture. Uh, we should test it against the Scripture, against the Spirit, and among the church as well. Uh, we ought to hold on to what is good and reject that which is evil. So this requires us to both examine the scriptures and engage in conversation, to not like hide away in some corner and say, well, he's wrong, so I'm never going to interact with him again. Um, like if you came to our service and you thought something was wrong and you never talked to me ever again, then I would be really offended. Like that would stink because uh, the whole point of getting together as a group is as I share something with you that the Lord has put on my heart, I'm doing it as an infallible man. That's just a fact, okay? Um, I believe the Lord is working through me and the Spirit is speaking through me, uh, but I want you to challenge me if something doesn't line up with what the Word says. 
And so if you like just disappear out of nowhere, that's not helpful to community or the building up of the church or the edifying of the leaders that are to edify the church. So it's important that we engage in conversation, examine the scriptures, and challenge one another to grow in our faith. So um, I think that's what we're called to uh, in, in this uh, worshiping community. Um, Paul closes uh, with, uh, with a prayer, uh, closes this, this whole book actually uh, with a prayer uh, for, for the Thessalonians. And this is the prayer that he, he prays uh, for them. He says this in verses 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, so what is it that Paul is calling for as he prays this prayer for the Thessalonians? Um, I think it's found in the very first part of that first verse. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So complete blamelessness in spirit, in soul, and in body. Um, and I'm going to get really cute here. Uh, I don't usually get this cute with my sermon, but I've got the three C's of sanctification for you. And so I'm going to reveal Baptist influence maybe in my preaching style here. These are the three C's of sanctification I see here. Um, <laughs> see how I did that? That was great. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so the goal here is blamelessness, but there, there are these three C's that go along with our sanctification process. First, you saw in that prayer that, that Paul is praying, listen, the Lord is going to accomplish this in you, uh, but sanctification is a big word, and we need some, we need some C's to explain it. And these are the three C's. Uh, sanctification is this. It's a continuing work, okay? Uh, a continuing work. First, we see it in verse 23, actually. He says that you may be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as Paul is giving this instruction after Jesus has come back and before he has returned. And so the day of Christ Jesus, I believe, is in the future at this point. Uh, it's not completed. It's a continuing work. Uh, Philippians 1.6 also says this, uh, as he's speaking to the Philippians, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, this is a work that is not complete. It has been started in you, but it hasn't been finished. It's something that you are striving toward and that God is accomplishing inside of you. So uh, our blamelessness in spirit and soul and in body is something that is uh, working itself out. Um, the, the second C of this three C's is that it's a challenging work. It's a continuing work and it's a challenging work. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 12 to 13 say this, uh, Touch it. Okay. Uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, so is the, sanct- the process of becoming blameless something easy to accomplish? <laughs> right? I mean, you can't get much stronger. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, it, you know, it's on you. You got to work it out somehow. You have a role to play in this. So it's a continuing work and it's a challenging work. Uh, but finally, it's a collaborative work. It's continuing, it's challenging, but it's collaborative. In both of these verses, uh, whoops, Philippians 1.6, you see, 
It is he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Okay, in uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, uh, it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. So not only is it continuing and challenging, but it's also a collaborative work. It's one that we can be assured that God is with us in. Um, just as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter five twenty four, at the end of that prayer, he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. There's a sense that we have a responsibility in this, but there's also a sense that God is with us throughout this sanctification process. So God is a holy God. We talked about that as we were talking about how we ought to rejoice. The fact of our rejoicing is that God is good and he's holy, okay? And we're rejoicing in his character, his perfect character. Um, And God's desire for us is that we also be perfect like he is perfect. But the fact is that uh, he has given us this, this is a challenging thing to do. This is not easy to uh, be self-controlled, to follow the Lord's will, to know the Lord's will. All these things are difficult and challenging. And thankfully, thanks be to God, they are continuing. It's not something that I have to be worried about accomplishing today, that I'm a work in progress in some way. Uh, Do I have the righteousness of Christ? Yes, I am righteous before, uh, before the Lord because of Christ, and that's done. But as far as my sanctification goes, I still have some chips and cracks and and brokenness that is being worked out uh, with fear and trembling. Uh, But thanks be to God, it is a collaborative work that God is at work in this. Uh, Paul closes uh, with this saying uh, that the grace of the Lord uh, be, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This echoes to us uh, what Jesus said when he left the followers. He says uh, that, In the Great Commission, he ends by saying that, Lo, I am with you even to the very end of the age. Uh, The fact is that we can have have faith and hope in the fact that God is with us, accomplishing this work that he's called us to do, that as we rejoice, as we pray, as we thank God, as we teach one another, as we listen to the Spirit, as we uh, seek to uh, test the prophecies and test what God is saying to us, God is at work in us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. He's instructing each and every one of us. He's present with us as we worship together. Uh, And so we can be thankful that he is with us and that he will always be with us. Um, So um, with that, I just want to challenge us to to listen to these words again from Paul um, from 1 Thessalonians as we close. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the Holy Spirit, or don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your uh, instructions to us that you love and that you care for us, that you desire us to be like you in every respect, God, that we would grow into uh, the calling that you've placed on our lives to be your children. 
are thankful that through Jesus we are your children, that we are your servants. God, that you love us and care for us, that you desire us to be blameless and that you walk that road to blamelessness, to purity in our spirit, soul, and body with us, God. That you don't leave us on our own to do it, but you're with us through every step. God, we're thankful for what you're doing in this community. God, that you are drawing men and women unto yourself to worship Jesus Christ as Lord over Clearwater. We pray that as we go today, that we would honor you, that we would lift you high in our lives, that we would worship you uh, in each area that you've given us to worship you in. God, whether we're stewarding a job or stewarding our family or stewarding the resources you've given to us or the time or the talents, God, I pray that we would honor you in everything, that we rejoice in all things, that we thank you in every circumstance, and that we pray to you continually. God, I pray for your church in this region. They would come together. They would honor you in all that we do. They would lift up the name of Jesus, that all other divisions and factions would fall away, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high in this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.